Welcome to First Up, it's Ramere. That's Friday the 9th of December. Ko Nathan Rarere, aho. Coming up, Harry and Meghan drop a barrage of royal bombshells in their just-released Netflix documentary. I can hear you rolling your eyes. Christmas in the Park returns for the first time in two years. Let's hope the rain doesn't make it three from three. And Christmas just wouldn't be Christmas without that most famous of all the festive traditions, the veneration of the Yuletide Frog. Not really, we just like to talk about frogs and we spoke to a woman who's got loads of them. When you've been doing it for a long time, you know that there's certain frogs that are never going to jump on your hands, but most of them will. Especially the little tiny, weeny, miniature New Zealand frogs. They're very friendly. That's all coming up on the programme this morning. Here at First Up. Kia everybody. Welcome to Friday. You've made it. Well done. You nearly It's like a swimming race where you're nearly at the end of the pool. We've just gone under the flags. You've got about four strokes and then boof, touching the wall. So here we go. We begin this morning in the United States where it has been announced finally that basketball star Brittany Griner has been released from detention in Russia. It's an interesting deal. Uh, with us now from New York is Bevan Hurley. Kia ora, Bevan. Kia ora, Nathan. Okay, so tell us, how did news break of, of Brittany Griner's release? Well, um, at about 8 o'clock Eastern uh, Standard Time this morning, we started getting reports that um, Brittany had indeed um, been released from that Russian penal colony where she spent much of the last nine months since she was arrested. Um, and then at 8.30 or thereabouts, there was a press conference at the White House um, where President Joe Biden confirmed the release. Um, he said that the administration um, had undertaken painstaking and intense negotiations to secure the release. Um, he thanked uh, the numerous members of his administration and many other international partners, including um, the UAE, Saudi Arabia, and a few others who had been involved in negotiations. Um, and next to him at the press conference was um, Ms. Griner's wife, Cheryl, uh, who, you know, as you can imagine, was just absolutely overjoyed. She, she said that she was overcome with emotions. Um, now, the release uh, came about after a prisoner swap with a notorious Russian arms dealer named Victor Boot. Um, Mr. Boot had been serving a 20-year prison term in uh, a US federal jail after he was found guilty of trying to kill Americans um, at, a, at a trial about 15 years ago. So, I mean, it's interesting that, you know, Ms. Griner was in, in jail on what was really a minor um, cannabis offence. She had inadvertently packed um, some cannabis oil into her luggage as she went off to play for uh, one of the Russian women's basketball teams during her off-season, while um, Victor Boot was one of the most notorious um, you know, criminals in the US justice system. And officials uh, in the US had also been seeking to um, secure the release of another US citizen, Paul Whelan, who is in jail in Russia um, on a 16-year prison term for what the State Department described as bogus espionage charges. Um, but Mr Biden said that once it became clear that the Russians would not budge on Paul Whelan, that they moved ahead um, with uh, getting Britney out of there. So she touched down in the United Arab, Arab Emirates a short time ago. Um, she is currently on a flight on her way to the US, so I can imagine there'll be some pretty jubilant um, scenes once she does indeed touch down. 
Yeah, Bevan, I, honestly, I, I didn't think she was ever getting out of there, so it's uh, it's an interesting development that's yeah. happened, and it's uh, good for her. She's on her way back to Phoenix, I think, uh, back home there. Hey, tell us, so the people of San Francisco, are they disappointed that they won't be selling, seeing these killer police robots anytime soon? <laughs> I'm not sure, Nathan. This is, a, this is such a strange story. Um, so... This week, San Francisco officials made an abrupt U-turn on a decision that they'd voted on uh, just last week to deploy killer police robots in extreme situations. Uh, The reversal came after a public outcry against the policy, which would have allowed robots to be armed with explosives and and used to kill people when risk of loss of life to members of the public or officers was imminent. Um, So Tuesday's vote, uh, it was an 8-3 to vote, to overturn the measure. Um, those in favour had argued that deploying the robots could be useful in extreme and extraordinary circumstances. But you have to remember um, that, you know, police killed 1,055 people nationwide in the US in 2021 alone. Um, so it's not like, you know, they're sort of lacking um, sort of lethal force when they need it. Um, crime is a really vexed issue in San Francisco, Nathan. Uh, in June, uh, the city voted overwhelmingly to recall their chief law enforcement officer, District Attorney Chesa Budin, who had sought to reform criminal justice, uh, the criminal justice system by stopping the prosecution of minors and lowering jail populations amid the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, but his progressive policies really got him offside with the local population. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a crazy next step, I suppose, in, in, in their efforts to uh, combat crime. Yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, also the Justice Department there has released a report into the prison-beating death of a gangster, Whitey Bulger, who I thought it was already dead. Uh, what what uh, did the report find? So um, James Whitey Bulger was killed uh, four years ago in a um, prison in West Virginia, less than 12, after, 12 hours after he'd been uh, transferred there. He, he was serving two life sentences for um, crimes related to his reign over the South Boston criminal empire, the Winter Hill Gang. Um, so Bulger had been placed in the general prison population when he arrived at this jail and he was almost immediately set upon um, by three men including reportedly a hitman who was after him because he had indeed been an FBI informant. Um, So the um, Justice Department's uh, investigation found that inmates had prior knowledge of his arrival because prison guards had been talking openly about it. Um, They had basically been taking wages on how long he would survive in the jail. And, um, you know, his his sort of work with the FBI um, had obviously made him a a, a real target. Um, So Bolger is is a really notorious figure. You'll remember that... um, you know, Jack Nicholson's character in that 2006 classic, The Departed, was partly based on him. And it was because he um, he had uh, been able to get away with his sort of criminal offending because he was also acting as a, a double agent for the FBI. And in 1994, he was tipped off by his uh, FBI handler that he was about to be arrested and went on the run for 16 years before his arrest. Bevan, thank you so much for your time uh, this year, sir. Uh, thank you. Uh, I very much enjoyed your company. There is Bevan Hooley there in New York. The time is 12 past five. Prince Harry and the Duchess of Sussex have released the first instalment of their Netflix documentary series, the much-hyped series. Uh, is a much hyped series is co-produced by the couple and tackles issues of race as well as their relationship with the royal family. The BBC's Sarah Campbell has this report. You know, she sacrificed everything that she ever knew, the freedom that she had, to join me in my world. 
And then pretty soon after that, I ended up sacrificing everything that I know to join her in her world. Their story in their words. Almost three hours of interviews, home videos and footage. The level of hate that has been stirred up in the last three years, especially against my wife and, and my son. As is my mom outside with Archie. I'm genuinely concerned um, for the safety of my family. These first three episodes document the events which led up to the couple stepping back from the royal family. They detail how they met and fell in love and what that meant for Meghan's life. So I would say to the police, if any other woman in Toronto right now said to you, I have six grown men who are sleeping in their cars around my house and following me everywhere that I go and I feel scared, wouldn't you say that it was stalking? And they said, yes, but there's really nothing we can do because of who you're dating. There are interviews with friends and Megan's family, including her mother. I felt unsafe a lot. I can't just go walk my dogs. I can't just go to work. You know, there was always someone there waiting for me, following me to work. I was being stalked by the paparazzi. And glimpses of private moments with members of the royal family, including the first meeting with Catherine, the now Princess of Wales. It's like I was a hugger, always been a hugger. I didn't realize that that is really a jarring for a lot of Brits. I guess I'd started to understand very quickly that the formality on the outside carried through on the inside. Much of the docuseries so far focuses on the couple's struggles with the media and the reaction from other members of the royal family. So it was almost like a rite of passage. And some of the members of the family was like, Right, but my wife had to go through that. So why should your girlfriend be treated any differently? Why should you get special treatment? Why should she be protected? And I said, the difference here is the race element. As expected, Diana, Harry's mother, is referenced several times, including the now discredited Panorama interview, which Prince William has requested never be shown again, but is shown in his brother's documentary. I think we all now know that she was deceived into giving the interview. But at the same time, she spoke the truth of her experience. Despite the opening sequence stating that members of the royal family declined to comment on the series, the BBC understands no approach by the filmmakers was ever made to the palace. Today, the king is spending another day carrying out engagements, business as usual. On his son's documentary, no comment is expected from Buckingham Palace. That was Sarah Campbell reporting. It's a quarter past five and you are listening to First Up here on RNZ National with me, Nathan Araridi. We go to Africa now and I'm joined from Ghana by a correspondent and father of gorgeous one-year-old triplets, Nabil Ahmed Moreno. man, how are you? Fine, thank you, Nathan. Hello. Hello. They are. They're the cutest kids in the world. We took a vote in the office and there it is. Hey, um, now, it's, it's interesting here, while the rest of us are trying to avoid COVID-19 in Uganda, they're about to trial an Ebola vaccine. Tell us about that. Yes, uh, Nathan. You know, Ebola resurfaced in Uganda uh, this year and they've been trying to curb it. Now, we understand that they are going to receive some 1,200 experimental vaccine doses to help fight against a particular strain, which is known as the Sudan strain of the Ebola virus. Basically, the vaccines uh, will be used in scientific trials. And we know that since the outbreak, about 100 cases of the Sudan strain were recorded. And out of that, 56 people died uh, since the outbreak in just this September. 
And for now, um, we understand that this particular uh, vaccine uh, would be used on about 3,000 people and they'll be uh, from the age of six years and they'll be participating in this particular uh, trial. Now, uh, this Sudan strain, there is no vaccine that has actually proven to be effective against the strain of the Ebola virus. So it is hoped that this trial will be successful and already um, we understand that uh, it's safe uh, according to what health officials are saying. And uh, basically, that's just uh, they are excited that they are going to have these trials. But uh, there's been concerns that it's coming a little too late because so far uh, there's, there's not been any um, cases of Ebola that has been recorded since the last batch of uh, those who were infected were discharged from the hospital at the end of November. So uh, there are concerns that uh, it's coming too late. But then the health officials are saying that it's important for them to try this particular vaccines in order to prevent f- uh, future infections. Now, now, Bill, I wanted to talk about the story in Kenya, which I find really interesting there. So Kenya has promised, <laughs> they've promised scholarships if people attend the Republic Day ceremonies. What, what, why are those being offered? <laughs> well, um, this year's Republic um, celebration has a theme on technology and the government has promised to offer unspecified amount of free scholarship to any Kenyan that would attend uh, the celebration. Now, they say um, this particular celebration will be centered on technology certification courses. Uh, of course, as I said earlier, in line with the uh, theme of the Republic Day celebration. And they'll actually offer it to eligible adults attending the celebrations in person. It's expected that the scholarships could help draw a pool of talents in Kenya in the technology and digital space. <laughs> so it's quite interesting that a bait is being <laughs> given for people who attend this particular celebration. And it's actually been um, the uh, Kenya uh, actually got independence from British uh, colonial rule uh, in 1963, from Britain in 1963. So they've come a very long way. And they are just trying to find ways of really celebrating it. But Nathan, interestingly, as this particular event is going to be held, the opposition leader, Raila Odinga, has also announced plans to hold a parallel celebration the same day. And the venue is going to be close by where this particular official Republic Day event is going to take place. You know Kenya had elections sometime this year. Wow. So there's dueling uh, ceremonies going on. But look, I don't think anyone's going to care, Nabil. Do you know why? Because Morocco is... uh, Have they they united the entire continent of Africa in the Football World Cup? It appears they have because um, people are hoping history will be made. You know, no African country has ever qualified to the semifinals of the World Cup tournament and even lifted a cup. So for Morocco being the fourth African country to make it to the quarterfinals after Ghana is quite a big deal for a lot of, for millions of Africans who are rallying their support uh, on uh, Morocco to at least to be able to break the jinx if there is anything like that of an African country not really progressing to the semifinals or even winning the cup. So there's a lot of support that's been given Morocco. And, you know, on Saturday, They'll be facing Portugal in the quarterfinals match, and we are wishing them the very best. Beautiful. Uh, Nabil, thank you so much, sir. Uh, wonderful to always have you on. There he is, Nabil Ahmed, who joins us out of Ghana.
20 past five is the time, and I'm Nathan Rarity here at First Up on RNZ National. It's Friday morning, so the Minister of Fruit and Veg is standing by. And also we'll get the comments from a royal expert, Margaret Holder, about what she thinks about Harry and Meghan's potentially explosive new documentary. Well, they are standing in the rear. Big ones, small ones, some as big as there he is, joining us from the markets. It's the Minister of Fruit and Veg. It's Glenn Forsyth. Oh gosh, goodness me, my mouth's all backwards this morning. I don't know what's happened. Morning, Glenn. How are you? Good, Nathan. How are you? I actually love trying to say Varadi every morning. You, you say it beautifully, obviously. Great, we, great surname. Yeah, the Forsyth. It's a toughie, but I've, I've got there. Um, <laughs> hey, tell, tell me about um, this. How do you balance seasonal excess? Because you know people want to provide a bounty, a cornucopia, as it were, uh, but also you know we want healthy fruit and veg. How do you balance that? Oh, yeah, five-plus-a-day trustee and principal scientist at Plant and Food Research, Dr. Carolyn Lister, says serving up a delicious platter of healthy, colourful fruit and vegetables is the perfect way to balance the menu, especially when it is easy to overindulge at Christmas time. So seasonal favourites like strawberries and asparagus, they will help with reducing fatigue. Platters are easy and look impressive, and she recommends to build a delicious and colourful one with avocado dips, asparagus, hors d'oeuvres, and red cherry tomatoes to really please and nourish a crowd. Even... You know, even that starter contains vitamin C, folate, and dietary fiber. Another favorite of hers are green salads, followed, um, flavored, sorry, with seasonal produce for that boost of nutrition. She adds fresh summer berries or cherries to her greens, along with a big handful of fresh herbs, then adds another handful of nuts, providing healthy fats. So it's the whole balance aspect by having plenty of fresh fruit and vegetables on the table as well. It's like balancing each flute of Lindell Frey's champagne you have by cutting a fresh strawberry into the glass every time. So yeah, fruit and veggies balance out all the other goodies. That last bit of balance you had appealed to a lot of people in here, I've got to tell you that. There we go. If asparagus is your thing though, this is your time to shine. They're at the best at the moment, aren't they? Well, yes. I mean, here's a classic example of how quickly supply and demand works in our produce industry. Asparagus started off too high Monday. Retail sales were slow. So the Thursday market, the price came back to get through the supply. Now, the opposite happened on, on sweet corn. Sold out too low on Monday. Demand went nuts. So their prices jumped back up yesterday for the you know, for the lack of volume uh, this weekend. So, yeah, so interesting how quickly it, it can turn. No days, weeks or seasons are the same in our industry and to cry a little further on onions this coming season, reports say Europe and Asia could be down 15 to 20% on volume. So that's good news for our hard-working growers in New Zealand. Maybe a little tough for our wallets, though. So talk about low demand on hardier veggies. However, they seem to have been forgotten, but cabbage, cauliflower, celery, broccoli and even some leeks are all readily available, so don't forget them. Summer lines in good supply spotted yesterday were lettuce, cucumbers, odd bunch capsicums, broccolini. They're a gorgeous wee treat. Those are better bites, carrots, cocktail truss tomatoes, and um, baby leaf lettuce or spinach, and, and even round beans. I like to take the truss tomatoes off that stalk, so when I weigh them, they don't weigh as much. Um, tell us about the, the yeah. fruit. The, tell us about the fruit aisle. How well stocked is that? Uh, now, we have a couple of price lifts. Avocados are moving up in values now as we enter the second half of their season. And kiwi fruit, well short. Well, one market was selling green for more than the gold. We have some imported mushy pear here, a handful of lychees from Australia, the first of the brilliant USA lemons and pomegranates are here. If you're, if you're lazy with pomegranates, punnets of just the seeds are available too, which you can plonk straight into your green salad. We have mangoes, New Zealand mandarins and berries all in good supply. And pat on the back for us as we just chomped our way through 
the worst week of the year for strawberries in regards to a potential glut, and that didn't happen this week. So fantastic. Plums and apricots low in volume, but you can sink your teeth straight into them as the nectarines are quite firm in comparison. Cherries continue to sell to a strong demand. Now that leaves us to finish on fruit of the week. Yes, here it comes. Glenn, what is your fruit of the week? So aromatic yellow flesh peaches. Wow. Talked with the ama- yeah, I know. Talked with the amazing Stu Burns this week, who runs a great summer fruit pack house in Twyford, Hastings, your your hometown, called Camelot Fresh Fruit. Now they churn out high class stone fruit, and he thinks peaches will be eating pretty well from the weekend. He likes them simply eaten straight from the hand, but their family love to stew them for dessert too. They you know they create that delicious syrup. Try them on ice cream, pound or angel food cake, waffles, pancakes, and even oatmeal, or by themselves, I mean warm, with an extra sprinkle of cinnamon. Now also next week, look out for Camelot's Christmas Donut Peaches, a white flesh squat one, five or six in a tray, about 450 grams, sitting like a row of donuts in their very own packet. There we are. Glenn, thank you so much. He is our Fruit and Veggies Yoda. Love you, sir. Have yourself a fantastic Christmas time. Yeah, that's the little secret, the little one with the cinnamon on those. Also, good with bacon. Everything's good with bacon. Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. Yeah, on the 9th of December, we remember the 22 that lost their life on the... uh, eruption there in Fakari, White Island in 2019. Uh, of course, that happened on this day. Other things that happened on this day, Kirk Douglas was born 104 years ago. He was born Isur Danielovich. Uh, that's his actual name, but there you go, Kirk Douglas went with. Still with us, Donny Osmond is 66 years old. John Malkovich is 69 years old. Judy Dench is 88. There we are. Happy birthday to all of you. On this day in 1868, I found this quite interesting. So the world's first traffic light was put up. It's put up near the Westminster Bridge in London. And they went, this is fantastic. Look at it. It's marvellous. I know when to stop and when to go. And then it was removed a month later because a gas leak caused one of the lights to explode. Um, So that didn't go so well. And on this day in 1960, the very first episode of a show called Coronation Street, which ended up going for a little while. Uh, The world's longest running television soap opera that was broadcast in the UK. So the Daily Mirror columnist Ken Irwin, he's the one, claimed this series will only last three weeks. Basically, they said, ooh, it's northern, the language in it is terrible, and look at them all, they're also ooh. And um, really, the early episodes t- told the story of Ken Barlow, of course, William Roach, uh, who'd won a place at university and thus found his working-class background as well as his family something of an embarrassment. That was pretty much what they went with there. December 2020 marked Ken's 60th anniversary on screen, and that actor, William Roach, the longest-serving actor in a televised soap opera and was honoured uh, in the 2010 Guinness World Records list. So there you are, Coronation Street watches, but you know that every time you're watching, you're watching history, and that's what happened on this day, the 9th of December. Out front for the business team, it's Anandzaki. Kia ora, how are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. Um, tell me about this. Mid-sized businesses are doing better than small firms. How do you like decide between a mid and a small? Ah, oh, well, that's a good question, uh, Nathan. Uh, so mid-sized businesses are 
generally defined as those between 20 and 100. Uh, that's according to MYOB anyway. The, that's what we're using here. Okay. Uh, probably no surprise to hear that uh, small businesses uh, have been having a harder time over the past year. Uh, we have a survey from uh, MYOB, the accounting software firm. Uh, they, they looked at mid-sized businesses. We often look at small businesses, but this one um, we're looking at mid-sized businesses, so that, that uh, market between 20 to 100 employees. So uh, they say more than uh, two-thirds of mid-market business operators uh, saw an increase in revenue, and just under two-thirds had an increase in profit over the past year, and that's in contrast uh, to their recent surveys of small businesses where revenue and confidence has been consistently down. Uh, MYOB uh, told us that mid-sized businesses, uh, you know, they entered the year with higher levels of confidence, they had work in the pipeline, and that good outlook just really carried on throughout the year. And uh, they're proving to be quite resilient as well. You know, we've had a lot of challenges economically and health-wise, because let's not forget, a lot of people have been quite sick this year. Uh, now, with those economic challenges, uh, that means rising costs. So more than three quarters of mid-market business uh, operators, they're planning to increase prices in the next three to six months, which isn't good news for consumers like us. Um, well, got to keep those profit margins, eh? Better keep those. Of course, you know, got to keep... Better get that year-on-year growth. Got to keep up, that's right. And look, they say they're facing um, higher production costs, uh, you know, same with supply and operational costs. So they're just passing it on um, to us consumers and uh, we just have to hope that uh, we get a pay rise to keep up with those rising prices. Um, not sure how that'll go for a lot of people. Um, and look, most of these uh, businesses, uh, they're worried about the possibility of a global recession as well. And of course, that's tough time for businesses, but tough time for consumers as well, especially uh, given uh, the significant proportion of consumers or just households that actually don't get a pay rise uh, to keep up with all those rising costs. No, there we are. it's very hard to maintain that profit margin at home. Thank you very much uh, this year. There he is, Ananzaki. You can hear more from the business team on Morning Report this morning at 10.27. I just remembered the New Zealand dollar. Remember our dollar note? It had a, um, a piwaka waka on it. It had a fantail. I don't know why they'd appeared in my head. But let's see what your Kiwi dollar is worth now. It is worth 63.77 US cents, 94.14 Australian cents, 60.52 Euro cents, 52.14 British pence, 4.4 yuan and 87.03 Japanese yen. We'll call it about 25 to 6. Now for New Zealand Radio's most popular pre-6am frog news segment, Frog Talk. Frog Talk. For the past 30 years, Linda Hart has nurtured thousands of tadpoles in her garden in Tairua on the Coromandel. It was great timing to have a chat because uh, just as my resident frogs, Herbert the Frog and Gringo have returned to our garden, I began by asking Linda how she came to be surrounded by so many tadpoles and frogs. I grew up on a little village in the Haraki Plains and we didn't have TV or anything. And so since I was a kid, there was a ditch in front of our house, and I used to just collect the tadpoles, probably five-year-old, and we only had one container, and that was the milk container, which the man used to come round 
and fill it. We didn't have milk bottles back then. And mum wouldn't let me put the tadpoles in there, so I used to sort of go around the neighbours and ask where I could borrow glass jars. And so right from a kid. <laughs> That's brilliant. I do it. Yep. <laughs> I like, and I like too how you went to make your own sort of, you know, uh, little uh, habitat for them there as well. So that that was very early on. And then, you know, but people fall in and out of love with things all the time, especially when they're kids. Something still grabbed you about frogs. What do you love about them? Well, I've taught mine to actually, when you've got wet hands, I show the children, pop your hands in the water and put your hands out, and the frogs actually will jump on the children's hands and just sit there. What? (laughs) You know, hundreds of them, little tiny weeny green frogs, and the children just love it. I haven't had any, even scaredy cat kids. (laughs) Never had a kid. I explain what's going to happen. Wet your hands, put your hands still. And the frogs just jump on. Linda, is this, is this your magic trick particular to your your frogs? No, I think anybody that loves frogs could do it. Really? So, if, if, I mean, I've been doing it for probably sixty years. So. Right. Of an experience there, because because we I, I have a a southern bell frog that arrived at my house, which I was quite confused as to how it got there. But we spoke to a frog expert last year, and he looked at the photo and said, "No, that's a southern bell." And and I wonder about it. So if I wet my hands, well, would you think that that Herbert the frog might jump on my hand, or is that are we, you know are we are we probably not at that stage, me and Herbert? <laughs> I don't really know. <laughs> I couldn't tell you what your relationship's going to be like. <laughs> but when you've been doing it for a long time, you know that there's certain frogs that are never going to jump on your hands, but most of them will, especially what? the little tiny, weeny, miniature New Zealand frogs. They're very friendly. Oh. Now, yeah. you, you know, one of the things is, you know, you fall in love with, with things and sometimes there are special ones that come along. Lots of us have had a favourite dog or a favourite cat. Can you tell our audience about your beloved Graham? Well, Graham, I worked as a remote nurse practitioner in Australia for many years and only retired a few years ago. And so when I went to Australia, I would always open all the frog doors so that they could jump out, not be locked in for the nine months that I was away. And Graham never left. He just stayed there and I'd come home and I'd go, hello, Graham. And the rest (laughs) of the frogs would be on the silver beater up the plum tree or wherever. And now I've got Graham number two. He doesn't want to go. I've left the doors open for him to get out, but no, he just stays. It's beautiful. (laughs) Oh, great. He just likes it. (laughs) Graham likes the finer things, and so does Graham too, so that's good Good for you, Grahams. How many frogs do you think you might have had over the years, or or tadpoles? Must be, what, hundreds? Um, Over a thousand a year. Wow. Okay, yep. so that is that is plenty there as well. And one of the things I think it was quite nice I heard is that um, sometimes kids from kindies and school used to come and see them. That must have been quite. That must have been really lovely. Yeah, I, last one I did was up at Fenua Kiti um, Play Group Play Centre, and the children did. They just loved them, and every single one of them held the held a frog, just wet their hands, and a frog would jump on them. And I, that was magic. Yeah. The last few years with COVID, no. But some of my friends have got lots of grandchildren, so um, they bring them up and play. So can can you tell us about the enclosure? Because that's, that's a lot of frogs. It must be quite large. My daughter hates it because it's bigger than her bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> I used to have little enclosures, but now I've got a big one. And it's magical because you can walk in there 
and it's got two rooms, so you've got green and brown frogs and striped frogs in that, in that room, and then you've got the different ones in, but they jump through the window. The window's not got glass between, so you see all the different ones just chilling. It's, it's beautiful. <laughs> and then I've got, I've, I got my husband's big dinghy. I thought, yeah, I know what I'm going to do with that. So I put that in the garden, and I've filled that with uh, probably 500 exotic goldfish and the tadpoles too. Wow. We've got frogs in the dinghy as well. <laughs> and the man was staying with us and he offered me $600 for the dinghy and I said nah I've got a better idea for this and it worked well yeah. a lot of people coming up to holidays and celebrations with families and Christmas and what have you there might be bits there where you, you know, you're out and you're around and you, and you do find tadpoles in creeks or something like that so what's your tips for any aspiring tadpole breeders out there okay I feed mine on tomatoes and that's quite expensive because tomatoes are not ripe right now, so you've got to go and buy them. I cut them in half and I just tie them to a little rock and the tadpoles eat tomatoes, which was a bit there. But I just say just look after them and, and don't put a lid on them. And if they want to jump out, let them go. That was Linda Hart on New Zealand Radio's most popular pre-6am frog news segment, Frog Talk. <laughs> Talk. Barry Guy is here. He's at the Marina. sports department, uh, sports department control desk. Uh, big weekend of sport, and we came up with a good pun before I did. Uh, I thought it was a good dad joke. It's time for the Qatar finals. Get it? No. <laughs> Tell me about the Football World Cup quarterfinals in Qatar. Right. Barry. Okay, quarterfinals. Uh, goodness, I forgot what order they are. Uh, Croatia, Brazil. Yeah, that's first. Yeah, then is it uh, Netherlands, Argentina? Yes. Uh, and then on Sunday, England, France, and Portugal, Morocco. I think I've got the order right there. Um, really, I mean, I've, I've seen all of those teams play. Who's the best I, one? Well, Brazil. Mm-hmm. Uh I think Argentina is getting better. I think the Netherlands are playing uh, at their top level right now. Uh, England and France is an interesting one. I can see that going to penalties. And unfortunately, um, I think uh, Portugal just might have a little bit too much spark for Morocco, who didn't show a lot in their round of 16. Uh, so they may just try and hold on and then go to penalties as well. So who would have thought if you're Portugal, the way to really spark the you know the yep. attack up is to take off Cristiano Ronaldo? Yep. Go, you sit down over there and watch us score all these goals. And his replacement, who they were going, why is he there? Well, he scored a hat trick, didn't he? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I suppose everyone was expecting Ronaldo to be in the starting lineup. Might have worked uh, on that, but the goodness, the new young guys come through and um, and bringing uh, someone like Ronaldo on later in a game is is not a bad thing. Also, no. so uh, yeah, I, I I don't know if we're going to Brazil, um, Portugal. Um, I think Netherlands, Argentina and England, France are going to be uh, uh, close and will go really? right away. Go yeah. to the coin flip. All right. Um, t- now, the, the breakers, I saw the start of the breakers last night. We got off to a good start in the black and the pink, but it, it didn't yeah, not end Sydney, up well. Uh, Sydney Kings topside, they dominated things uh, really all the way through. And in the end, the breakers tried to uh, close uh, in in the, the final quarter and they did a good job. 
Uh, but really, they just let the Kings, uh, the defending champions, go too far in front of them, and uh, the Kings won 88-81. So that's the second straight loss at home for the Breakers, and the second time they've lost to the Kings. So there's, I suppose you can't argue that uh, the Sydney Kings deserve to be top of the ANBL. Uh, when they've beaten the uh, number two side twice now. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, um, the coaches sort of said that, they, you know, they're continuing to uh, work out what's uh, best for the team, how to win, um, you know, and those sorts of things. So um, I think they are making progress. So Huge um, from last good year. Signs. Goodness yeah, me. Oh, yeah, good turnaround, good turnaround. Uh, just uh, we had the Rugby uh, Awards last night. I suppose there's no surprise there um, either that um, Ruahe Demant, the uh, Black Ferns, uh, first five and captain uh, won the Kelvin R. Tremaine Memorial Player of the Year award was mm. also the uh, Māori Player of the Year and the Black Ferns Player of the Year um, Black Ferns were the team of the year Wayne Smith was coach of the year and the All Blacks player was um, Artie Smith so uh, Artie Smith Artie, Artie Smith, Smith. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got him mixed up with uh, um, Aaron Aaron who won the uh, Maori player um, I've got to say that player. I know the yeah. try of the year was Stacey Flula's one in the World Cup final yes. and of course it's beautiful if you love your rugby and you like attacking yes. patterns and skills and what have you Teresa Fitzpatrick's pass is perfect the yeah. show and the go it's yeah, oh, yeah. oh that's the oh, best oh, part oh. isn't it yeah it yeah is. yeah the sort of and you get the, the defence gets fooled so best, um, bit, best bit Barry is I'm at that game right and we're yep. there and the guy behind us when uh, Ruby catches the ball on the touch line on uh, the touch and throws it in, goes, oh, should have let it go out for a line-out. This is ridiculous. <laughs> and just as he's in the middle of telling his mate about how terrible that play was, that's when the show-and-go happens and the whole stadium's up there as well. So It, it sort of rates alongside one of the best tries that I ever saw was when Jonah Lomu was in the middle of the... It was uh, it was here against Australia, I think. Middle of the back line, and he was used as the dummy, and everyone, mm. all the move was all around him and Cullen <laughs> and everything, and they just, you know... Everyone just was just watching out for Jonah, and he had nothing to do with it. And do superb with try. It. Uh, Brittany Griner, uh, the US basketball is on her yes. way uh, back. I, I do wonder what the Russians are getting out of this. They've got some arms dealer. Yeah. But really, there must be something else involved. I just couldn't. Why would the Russians give up? Um, you uh, know, are they just trying to be nice? Doesn't sound like them. So I don't think uh, historically this year, no. I don't think they have. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I mean, good news. Brittany Griner's on yeah, the way is, back. But I sort of look at those sort of. Uh, espionage sort of uh, political machinations and just sort of think why, why, why are the US getting out of this and also uh, I won't hold you up but I see um, uh, the most popular toys for Christmas this year is coming up on report later this morning oh, and okay. I was trying to have a quick listen to see you if uh, Box hot, no Hot Wheels are oh, you yeah, a Hot yeah, Wheels yeah. fan? Yeah, yes. yeah, I, saw I was actually more a Matchbox kid myself but yeah yeah I get the Hot Wheels I like the oh, Hot Wheels with the loops the back, and Tonka oh yeah Tonka's around the same time Tonka Tough yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. yeah, yeah. Good on you, Barry. Hey, Barry, hey, have, have a good thank weekend. you very much. Cheers. Thank you very much. Oi. There he is, Barry Guy uh, from our sports desk. It is 14 to 6. Much to cram into the show. Before we get to the end, we find out what's happening on Morning Report. We speak to royal expert Margaret Holder and we find out about Christmas in the park. <laughs> The 
professionals at Morning Report are standing by. It's Corin Dan, who's here. Kia ora, sir. What do you got happening today? Uh, Tamaria, uh, Nathan. Uh, well, we'll look at education this morning. Some warnings uh, back in September to Cabinet about the state of education in New Zealand following the impact of uh, COVID-19 on students, on staff, on teachers, everybody involved, really, and the stresses and strains and what needs to be done about that. Our education correspondent, John Gerritsen's done a bit of a deep dive uh, into that issue, very important issue. We will cover the issue uh, with the baby uh, and the issue around blood transfusion. We'll talk to bioethicist uh, that we've spoken to over the last couple of days who's giving some uh, very interesting commentary and analysis on that issue. That's uh, Josephine Johnson, a bioethicist, there for some more on that because that is obviously becoming more and more complicated, as you would have heard in the news. The speed cameras, we'll touch on that as well. And, of course, the football. Mm. Uh, we'll get a wrap. We'll get the English perspective. The three lines, are they bringing it home? Are they feeling oh, they, confident? Oh, they do that coming home thing, won't they? Oh, are they what? They love it. They love it. Very good. Okay. Thank you very much, Corinne. Yep. And there we are, morning report, of course, with you after six. Well, it promised to reveal what happens behind the closed doors of the British royal family, but did it deliver the first three episodes of Harry and Meghan's long-awaited docu-series landed on Netflix last night? Joining me now to go over the highlights and lowlights and implications is royal commentator Margaret Holder. Kia ora, Margaret. Thank you very much for being here. What did you make of these first three episodes? It was a long watch, I can tell you. I think... I would like to have sort of watched the old, the, the last Bond film over again, which is about the same length. Uh, it took some concentration uh, to, to follow what they were saying and doing. And there was a lot of schmaltzy music and a lot of slow shots. And it was filled, a lot of the early stuff, with old footage, uh, which actually we didn't expect. Uh, some of it obviously just bought in from various distributors in the UK. Um, and uh, it did include some of the panorama footage, which Prince William has said he never wanted to be shown again. So uh, here we are looking at, at more sort of enmity between the brothers, if you like, uh, and a widening of the feud between them. So there's that aspect. But as the... the series developed we got to the third episode we're getting now to the hard stuff we're getting to the accusations of racism uh which there is an understanding will be played out in the next uh, drop which happens a week today three more episodes arrive on netflix um i i just find it all hard to take because megan was welcomed here very much so. Um, I was one of her early supporters as, as a royal writer, and there were a lot of other supporters when we did welcome her, and we did see that here's someone who can help represent other people in this country who might not have felt represented before and might represent then also many people in the Commonwealth. And that was the view taken, and what I'm afraid Harry and Meghan have done, and certainly Harry, right from the beginning, is to make war on the tabloid press here. What, what so do you think the royal family uh, will make of this, Margaret? Because I know that they're not... Um, I know they haven't said a statement, so, uh, you know, what would you think that, that they, they feel of this? Oh, I, I expect some might have been hiding behind cushions. I don't know. I think they will be very, very disappointed and upset that the couple have monetized their position in this way. 
And I think there will be some relief that they haven't spilt any royal secrets so far in this series, because this is a family with secrets going back generations. So, of course, Harry will know them and therefore Meghan will know them. So I think there's a relief in that sense. But they're certainly hurt. And Harry's accusation of unconscious racism within the family will hit hard because this follows on from what they said in the Oprah Winfrey interview and they accused at least two people in that, in the family, not the household, that, that's the staff, but in the family of making remarks that they didn't like. Um, and, it, you know, they left it there as a shadow across the whole family. Yes. Um, the other thing I've picked up on, and I, I almost screamed at the TV at this point, was Harry talking about Meghan's father. And they use private clips in this that Meghan has got from her childhood showing herself with her father and talking about her upbringing. And then Harry, this is a man who lost his mother in the most tragic way. And he says very casually, it's incredibly sad. She had a father before this, and now... She doesn't have a father. I, I shouldered that, and it was with me that uh, her, her, if, if it wasn't with me, uh, she would st he would still be her dad. Yeah. Now, that's nonsense, absolute nonsense. She cut her father off because he was misguided into taking some ridiculous photographs of him uh, pretending to be uh, tailored for a suit for the wedding, on looking at pictures of Britain and so on. These were innocent and silly pictures. Her father is still alive. He's still a very a poorly man. He, he's not a man who looks after himself terribly well. You can see that from uh, pictures we have seen of him. And clearly, you know, the child that he nourished and, and loved and paid for, worked hard for, for, for so many years, has simply turned against him. Yeah. Uh, Royal uh, commentator there, Margaret Holder, not a fan. There we go. It is uh, four and a half. Thank you very much, Margaret, uh, for that. The Auckland Domain, I'm just trying to hurry here, the Auckland Domain is set to be lit up with family fun tomorrow evening as Christmas in the Park is back for the first time since 2019. Dixon Nacy is the creative director and joins us ahead of tomorrow's show. Uh, kia ora, Dixon. Thank you very much. Do, do you lose uh, any, any sleep there when you have a look at the weather? Uh, Morden and Nathan, uh, no, that's the one thing we can't control. So we just tell people to you know, make sure they wrap up warm and uh, bring an umbrella and some uh, good footwear. Okay, what what are you most excited about this? Because it's always, you know it was always a, a wonderful tradition. I got to do it a couple of years. It, it's an incredible event with so so many people. What's so exciting? The most exciting things in the show for you? Yeah, it's a big one. It is pretty jam packed. So I'll quickly. Um, highlight some things. We've got LAB as our headliner, which is really exciting. Of course, the Kiwi Supergroup there. We've got a great young uh, rising superstar, Jaya, who's um, debuting a brand new Kiwi Christmas song, which is really cool. Of course, we've got some of Aotearoa's finest uh, musicians, singers and dancers, and music, um, bringing music for the whole family to the stage. Carol's Christmas classics, um, Kiwiana and Top 40. We like to party, uh, you know, towards the end of the night there. A huge new stage, a new look. Tree. We've got, of course, our pyrotechnic display at the end of the night, the big fireworks, and maybe even a visit from Santa. So there's a lot in there. Now, um, you mentioned there it's a bit of a change of stage, a bit of a venue too. So normally you're down by and, and where all the cricket fields are, but I believe you're up in a slightly different place of the domain this time. 
We are. We're up. Yeah, you can't miss us if you're uh, at the museum. You'll you'll look out the back of the museum and you'll see us right there to the right. Um, so we are a little bit closer just to get out of the ground. You know, out of the um, fairly uh, wet uh, lower grounds there uh, where we used to be. So we have moved. Um, but yeah, as I said, if you if you're at the museum and you look out um, the back there, you can't miss us. Dixon, we've had so much to cram in this morning. Sorry I can't talk to you longer. Thank you very much, Dixon Nacy. Everybody that's heading to that, have a wonderful time. Look, uh, Anna Thomas is going to guide you through the final week of First Up for 2022. Before I bid you farewell, I want to thank our team. Our team are great. We've got Pip Keane, we've got Jeremy Parkinson, we've got Leonard Powell, we've got Matthew Tunis, and we've got Katrina Batten, we've got Mavashi Kram, and that's why we're the best team. There you go, I'll tell you that. Um, we've got correspondents all around the world who we love and enjoy. Even if we can't be bothered sending them Christmas cards sometimes. Uh, look, it has been a slog of the year. Uh, thank you very much for lending your ears to First Up as our audience continues to grow throughout the year too, which is nice. It's wonderful we'll find out there's more of you. And thank you very much for your feedback that comes in as well. We actually really enjoy it. It's so nice. Uh, rather than, I used to work in the old other sort of radio where it's like, hey, send it in for that and you use it as content. It's just so nice to get your thoughts on things. Your brains brighten my day. I hope your Christmas and your New Year's are spent the way that you like it. And uh, thank you again. I'll be back in January. Anna Thomas, of course, like I said, guiding you through next week. Thank you very much to my team. Love you all. And audience, good on you. I'll catch you next year. I'm dreaming of a Christmas Just like the ones I used to know Where the treetops are